you Stomping for some more That's when my eyes catch you And my heart begins to sing Oh, pretty baby Man, can you swing? My feet start to moving And they push me from my chair My fingers start to snap And want to run through your hair I got to get to you But I get pushed aside Cause everybody's doing The shimmy and the slide Oh, you're on fire When I grab you by the hand Your waist is moving With the rhythm of the band I swell up As you take me for a ride Come on, pretty baby Let's do the shimmy slide Welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me today is a man who loves extended hot tub sex scenes. It's Adam Myros. Oh, I was wondering who you're throwing to there. I, I mean, that could describe either Jack or I, I would think. Yeah. I mean, or the, any the, red-blooded the, American, really. That's <laughs> true. I mean, that, that, the next thing I was going to say is, and also joining us is a man who enjoys extended hot tub sex scenes, Jack Eason. <laughs> It's the extended part I enjoy the most. Yeah, it's well, boy, is it is it ever extended? <clears throat> and well, not it, you in know, the cut I watched, you know. It, <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're wondering what we're talking about today, we're actually this, this is a very very important episode because we are talking about what might be my favorite movie ever, or at least the movie I've seen the most in the last ten years. It's also. One of the few movies that I would say I am an evangelist for, where I go out of my way to share this with people any chance that I get. And uh, I'm proud to say that I've I've been able to introduce a lot of people to this film. And thankfully, uh, last year, Vinegar Syndrome was kind enough to finally release it um, on Blu-ray, which is wonderful because there was a long out-of-print DVD, and I mean, that was pretty much it other than the bowels of the internet. And we are, of course, calling about, uh, talking about John DeHart's Champagne and Bullets, a.k.a. Road to Revenge, a.k.a. Get Even, a.k.a. Get Even, because there's get no even. space in between, <laughs> between get and even. It's just get even. Yeah, uh, those are all... I don't know if those are all different cuts. Uh, I mean, I think that... The version I watched, which was the widely available one for a long time, pre-restoration. I mean, widely available as in not really, but if you were searching such things out, uh, it was, I believe it is like listed as Road to Revenge, but the title card says Gideven. Yeah. So there, there's three, uh, those are like the three main cuts, the Champagne and Bullets, which is the longest cut, uh, Get Even, which is the kind of in-between, and and John DeHart has said that, uh, which, by the way, I learned from listening to the audio commentary on the new Blu-ray that it's not John DeHart, it's John DeHart, <laughs> believe it or not. Okay, okay. So, uh, but anyways, it, that's John's preferred cut, is actually the, the, the Get Even cut, and then there's Road to Revenge. Now, Road to Revenge is the shortest, and what that does is it cuts out pretty much all the like extended violence that you get in the get even cut. It cuts out a lot of background information, so it's a little bit more confusing, and it cuts out like 99% of the sex. So obviously it's the worst. Um, <laughs> Champagne and Bullets, as the longest cut, uh, it, it cuts out one of my favorite scenes, which is the... Uh, ninjutsu montage wherein we get to see 
actor, <laughs> director, star, producer, and uh, composer, John DeHart. We get to see him. John DeHart. DeHart. I'm sorry. John DeHart. We get to pra- see him practicing his karate on a, uh, a, a, a fucking whatever, a, a heavy bag. And then he feeds his dog a little snack. And that is that is <laughs> and, not and his included dog, we should mention in the Bullets is his dog is of course also wearing a black belt in that scene. <laughs> yes, the dog is a black belt in the scene, as as well as he is. So and i th- I think that cut also trims off some of the weird shit that he shot in two thousand seven, which I believe was tacked on to Road to Revenge, but it's just like weird like LA street scenes that are clearly shot digitally on on like a modern camera in 2007 and inserted into this movie from the early 90s. It's bizarre. Uh, the other thing Champagne and Bullets has, if we're comparing cuts here, is there is a, uh, a pretty violent graphic rape scene inside of the bar that we are not privy to in the other cuts. It serves uh, really no purpose in the broader narrative. I, I think it was smart to cut it out because it's just like, why is there a graphic rape scene? However, uh, there's another sexual scene that I am very sad to say was cut out of all subsequent versions. And the re- it was kept in Champagne and Bullets. John DeHart on, on the commentary track for Champagne and Bullets says that he cut it out because he was worried about international distribution. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, yeah, that's... <laughs> Something to really think about with a movie like this. But it's a scene where, uh, do you guys remember the the whole, there's there's a scene where uh, Wings Hauser's wife like fakes domestic violence uh, yes. and, to try and get him in trouble. Yeah, and powerful she's man in rights cahoots. moment. Yes, it was a powerful MRA moment. She is in cahoots with Normad, the, the bad guy played by uh, William Smith. And... In this scene, she goes to his office and is just like, I tried to get him arrested, but it didn't work the way I wanted to. And he's like, oh, you dumb bitch. How are you going to be my little Satanist whore if you can't do this simple task? And then he bends her over his desk, pulls down her pants, and slaps her bare ass for two and a half minutes. That's that. You've seen this? Is this in the, the director's cut that you have? This no, this is in this is in the champagne and bullets cut. I don't remember that because I, jeez, it's it been too long. Out. <laughs> it's been too long. Well, I, I watch I watch Get Even this <laughs> like time. A day. <laughs> okay, that was pulled out. I don't remember that at all. From the Jesus, it's been forty eight hours. I just I can't I can't <laughs> uh, retain this information. Oh my god, yeah, yeah no, so- my brain obviously just rejected the entire premise. I mean, most of the sex scenes in this, the sexual content of this movie. Uh, is is harmful and and unpleasant and you just don't want to retain any of it deeply unpleasant i mean it is really one of those movies it's kind of like watching i don't know like a harmony korean movie or something where you're like i don't actually want to see these people having sex at all but that's all you're going to show me and I, i don't i don't need that right now anyways the reason why i'm explaining these three different cuts is and this is important because after we talk about this movie at length I'm going to give you the hard sell here. This is an incredible film. This is the essence of optimism vaccine is baked into this film. If you're going to watch this movie, if you have the vinegar syndrome Blu-ray, or I believe MVD is putting out a a more bare bones version of it. There's three cuts that we just discussed and make sure you watch the get even cut first. Okay. That's the best. That's, 
exactly where this movie shines the most. Hmm. If you enjoy that, then later you can kind of dive into the champagne and bullets cut and, and have that be your number two. Road to Revenge, I've seen it. It's fine. But with the other two cuts out there, there's really no reason to watch it. I, you can kind of avoid Road to Revenge. So with that said, is Road to Revenge on that on the DVD or on the Blu-ray? Because I've never seen is. that version floating around. Okay. It is. It's it's on it's on the Blu-ray. And there are other cuts of this film floating around. Well, you may be in possession of one of those, yes. I am indeed, as a super fan. So before we actually get into the movie, let me it's story time, kids. Uh years and years ago, Myros and I moved to California, and uh I mean I had a a little Hyundai and we had a little, uh, like a freight shipping thing and we shipped some stuff, but I had to mail a lot of my possessions via media mail in order to, I mean, basically like get my shit to California. Now during the move, and I, I can't remember if it was, it must've been when, when we, when I moved back to the Midwest from, from California, but sent shit back and one of my boxes contained several DVDs and it was lost by the U S postal service, including my DVD copy of John DeHart's get even uh, my prized possession, which uh, foolish me. I should have, I should have just, you know, buckled it in in the front seat. You, sh- you should have <laughs> yeah, strapped I lost that it. one to your person for the drive back, just duct taped it around your, your chest. Mm-hmm. Right. Which to explain to, to folks, I, you must, this must have been when you moved to Milwaukee, I believe, because I, I think we yeah. saw this film for the first time in California, circa yeah. 2010, yeah. somewhere in there. So then I, I would have bought it, and then, yeah, I probably lost it on the way back to Milwaukee. Right, right. So, and the, But the, the thing that, that people ought to realize, and, and some folks will, and some folks will think this is insanity, but this is not a film you're buying on Amazon at the time, especially. This, is, this, this DVD was purchased directly from... John DeHart's own uh, website, uh, which yeah. I believe in the, in the interim he had ceased selling copies, right? Yeah, that's correct. So he had this website set up where it looked like some real like late '90s GeoCities website bullshit, but it was like a, a, a galaxy star background, and then there was the DVD cover of Get Even, and then you had to drag it to like a clip art cart. And then that would load up a PayPal screen and then you would PayPal John DeHart 15 bucks. And then allegedly he would send you a copy. Now this worked the first time that I purchased the movie. Uh, But when I lost it, I was like, Oh, I'll just get another copy. And then I couldn't get it. I, I tried twice to get the, to get the movie from him and I just, it didn't work. Uh, So I also sent him like $30. (laughs) I never got back, but (laughs) That aside, I mean, this is very, I, I guess, like Neil, the Neil Breen model for <laughs> distributing your films is, is kind of on display here. John sure. D. Hart kind of set the, the pace for that. I think Breen probably originally distributed that way, but no, I mean, at least now he, he exists in an era where he can uh, run a similar racket with an Amazon storefront. And he also, I think, rents through YouTube, oddly enough. Sure, sure. So there was no way to legally access a physical copy of this movie. And so what I did was I was, I mean, I was Googling it. I was trying to figure it out. Like, where can I get this from? Maybe there's some 
you know, third-party reseller. Maybe I can find a copy on eBay. Like I was just looking for it, looking for it. But this is not a popular film. It's gotten a little bit of a cult following in recent years. But at the time, nobody gave a shit about this movie except for me, apparently. And what I ended up doing was John DeHart, by trade, he's a lawyer. That's what he does. When he was making Get Even, he was in law school. And he was a lawyer. So I went to his law website, which is, I believe, no longer active. And that's a shame because it's totally insane. It's just like a splash page with a low resolution picture of him with his mustache in a fucking tie and shirt. And then it's it's like a bunch of ambulance chaser stuff. And it, there's a number on there. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll call his law office. And I will just, I will make an inquiry with his secretary. Maybe, you know, we'll figure this out. But that seemed like the only way. I had to call John DeHart. So I call, and his secretary doesn't pick up. You know who picks up? John DeHart picks up. <laughs> and basically, I'm like, hi, um, <laughs> I need a copy of your movie. Can you please send me one? And at this point, we, we ended up talking for about an hour wherein he discloses that since the movie's release in 1993, he has been continuously editing the film into new versions. And he said that while he, did no, he no longer had any of the DVD copies like the one I used to have, he would gladly burn me a DVD copy of his latest cut and send it to me, which he did. Uh, and this was actually the first time that I, I heard the name Champagne and Bullets attributed to the film because that's what he, he wrote on it. And the cut that I have is actually longer than the official Vinegar Syndrome <laughs> cut. And it's some bizarre composite of, I don't know, it's like all the Champagne and Bullets stuff, but with the additional tacked on uh, 2007 footage from Road to Revenge and like a few other weird things, but it's a totally different cut. So, and, and I'm sure because the man has been working on this film endlessly for God knows how long, how many other John D. Hart cuts exist of Champagne and Bullets? And I can only imagine there's at least dozens, right? So here we are. Now, that being said, what is this movie? What the fuck are we talking about? With sex scenes, different cuts, calling a lawyer to get a copy of this DVD. What is this magical film that we keep discussing? You're probably like, this is insane. I'm already turning off the episode. No, fuck you. Listen up. This is probably the purest form of the one-man auteur passion project. And it's... I, I, I can't even begin to put into words how special this film is. But it is, at its core, like a late 80s, early 90s action film. Uh, but the special sauce is a combination of <clears throat> two great character actors and William Smith and Wingshauser. I mean, two of the best to ever do it. And then the aforementioned star slash director slash writer slash producer slash composer john d hart who i mean i how would you describe his appearance myros uh kind of like chuck norris except 
schlubbier, you know, I, I don't know. He, he's very yeah. much like he's, he's a hardcore dad bod guy. Yeah. It's Chuck Norris. If Chuck Norris was from like Iowa. Yeah. It's <laughs> like if your dad was really into Chuck Norris and like patterned his look after. Right. Yeah. He's kind of like, he's a, like a dad, but who really is okay with just being a dad. Like he's not really working yeah. too hard to, you know, cultivate anything beyond his regular dad activities. I mean, the thing is, he's, he's, he's pretty good shape in this movie, I suppose. It's just, you would never know. Cause he's always dressed ridiculously. Yeah. But, I mean, when yeah, he's not in his, in his big leather. like Rambo. Yeah. And his nonsense <laughs> Rambo uh, finale, he, he's kind of caught. He could beat the shit out of me probably. Uh, no, he know. can hit a punching bag for sure. I mean, he, he works out <laughs> sure. But, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's kind of like he's, he's a dad who, who, is okay you know he sees himself he probably hits he probably hits that punching bag every night and he imagines some shitty client that he just had represent or a talk down or waiter who disrespected him not knowing that he's a filmmaker but you know i i'd like to meet john dehart because i i bet you he's like a really normal guy he's probably got like some amount of charisma he's just one of these people that as soon as the camera turns on he fucking deer in headlights hardcore. He's just like locks up. <laughs> he is locked this entire fucking movie. Well, I, I think I've joked before about his performance in this film and how like he's got these eyes that just kind of oh, stare yeah. through you in a very uncomfortable way. And his movement is so stiff and it's just like, God, were you just on fucking drugs the whole time? Or are you nervous? Are you just uncomfortable around the camera? And I think part of that discomfort around the camera that is definitely true but and this is very revealing <laughs> turns out that during the course of filming like first day first hour he's got a bad back and he like went to pick up wings hauser and he just completely threw his back out so the entire time he's loaded on percocet the entire filming of this of this movie the whole time. This just loaded on perks. Explains a lot. And and it's it's interesting because we, we have an offset here, you know, because we have DeHart's stiffness and kind of like very kind of insular presence, very inward looking uh, as as a performer, which generally is considered to be a bad thing. You're supposed to project your performance out. <laughs> he seems to be looking for it at all times. Uh, and then he's offset by uh, our main arch villain, who's played by, as, as Steve mentioned, William Smith, who is just like so prolific. He's an absolutely assured professional, but he looks genuinely confused as to what he's gotten himself into here. He's like, <laughs> he's doing the stuff, uh, but it, it's clearly kind of like he's not quite sure who he is in this movie. And then you also mm -hmm. have the supporting best friend character played by a frankly visibly inebriated Wings Hauser. Like he is, it's it's fun to learn that two of them are under the influence of substances because Wings Hauser is having a hell of a time in this movie and he's just <laughs> oh, swinging he's... wild with his performance. This is like one of the greatest Wings Hauser performances of all time. We just did Tough Guys Don't Dance a couple months back and that's another all-timer, but this is this is right up there. And I think it's interesting, too, because you do have these two great character actors, and uh, John DeHart has said that uh, William Smith followed his script to the, to the T, like just word for word, everything that was on the script, that's what he did. It shows. Which explains why 
He's so confused. And he said, he said he would ask questions. He'd be like, so I'm a judge and I'm a Satanist. I got to sacrifice the baby. Do I have to do all those things? And John Hart was like, yeah, yeah, you do. And he was like, all right. And if you're wondering, that's, that's what he talks like. Um, well, he, he is full, that's his voice full gravel voiced uh william smith as yeah as you might as yeah. our chief villain who is a crooked cop drug smuggler who sometimes helps out graduates into being a, a judge a like city judge and is also happens to head up the local chapter of the baby killing satanist group so real bad yeah, guy yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's about good versus evil right and and he's all uh, shades I mean, of evil in one yeah that's it just <laughs> That's everything. And uh, John DeHart's uh, character is pure goodness. There's, there's nothing bad about him. So you have those two. And then Huck, who's played by Wings Hauser, is also good, but he's kind of that fun, chaotic good. Uh, so, and, you know, obviously his name is inspired because he's supposed to be like the, uh, the Huckleberry Finn to John DeHart's... Uh, Tom Sawyer. So, yeah, so, uh, and the, this is literalized yeah. at one point where, where Wingshauser literally walks into the room like barefoot with his jeans hiked up wearing like a Huckleberry Finn hat. Like it's, and there's no surrounding information for why that happens that I can recall. He just walks in. Well, that's in. because he's embraced his new religion, Jack, which is uh, following the teachings of Mark Twain or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's... Go on adventures and do racism. <laughs> It's very confusing. I mean, and the thing is that, yeah, he's embraced this new this new thought. But earlier in the film, he's introduced ironing his jeans, just standing in his underwear with wearing a Stetson, which is not miles apart in terms of ridiculous attire for a grown man. Uh, that is, of course, he mm-hmm. he is admittedly doing that because they're going out for cowboy night, which is, uh, you know, cowboy night. everybody loves cowboy night at the bar karaoke strip bar. <laughs> Um, Does it count as like a, a theme night when there's three patrons in the bar? <laughs> well, you're not supposed to know the three patrons move around between each of the the shots, so to give it a full house feel. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. I like that scene because uh, this brings us into John D. Hart doing his own musical number, and there's an audience kind of kind of there for that. But then there's also an impromptu line dance to accompany it, and they have a separate audience facing and looking yeah. only at them. It is a this bar is kind of like an MC Escher painting. It just doesn't really, uh, mm-hmm. there's something off in there. I was just going to say, shock of the century, the the bar where Cowboy Night takes place, that's uh, John DeHart's basement. Ah, uh, he's got a little, yes. little bar down there. And all those video games that are there, they're actually his. He had, he had a bunch of video games and pinball machines because he used to own an arcade, apparently. It's one of his <laughs> many business ventures. But that's, so, that makes sense. I mean, that's, there you go. Yeah, uh, he does. So, he pulls uh, his punches though, because in in the fight down there, at one point they throw a guy's head into a pinball machine, but there's clearly just the sound of broken glass. But that man's head is not damaging mm-hmm. that machine. He treasures his possessions well, this, too much. <laughs> yeah, this scene in particular, uh, the editing isn't exactly crisp. You know, there's like the, the he's just like sitting at a bar in one scene, and then there's like a uh, fucking jump cut to him like holding a frosty mug of beer i'm like where'd that come from <laughs> couldn't get the coverage on that eh i mean I there's this... a lot of problems with coverage here <laughs> this is super depressing because this also means the aforementioned removed rape scene also occurred in sean d hart's basement yeah it did i Over assume it involved table. the waitress that 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 seemed to be headed yeah. that direction 
But yep, that's correct. It was the waitress <laughs> over the pool table from behind. Yeah, it, it uh, awkwardly fades out zooms. at the end of that scene in Get Even. It just sort of like it, they, yes. they, the the sound even carries through, and just like it's like the the camera just like it's like nah, fuck it, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. So this first bar scene is is really what people know this movie from. We we have made, by the way, a grave error. Uh, I exclude Jack from this because it probably should have predated Jack, but I, I can't believe it's taken us so long to cover this, whereas it's one of these movies where we were ahead of the curve, and instead now we're well behind the curve. So a lot of people mm-hmm. who follow bad movies are, are familiar with this now, and that is mainly due to this uh, this performance by uh, John Dehart, this uh, musical number, The Shimmy Slide. Uh, oh, what a which, treat. This is the this is the absolute moment where John DeHart looks like like ISIS is just off camera, like pointing a machine gun at him. <laughs> it's it's real it's real rough. Like the way he's looking at you, and then this is like maximum Percocet for him, and he's just got this little like the shimmy slide is just like a little perk shuffle. It's he, he cannot move at all. He's just like, you could tell he wants it to be like a hips thing, but he can't. So he's just kind of doing elbows, you know, just elbows and shoulders, elbows and shoulders. And it, it does not sell it for me. Uh, But there are some people line dancing. Yeah, no, it's an important (laughs) scene because it establishes the recurring theme of this film. And really, uh, you know, the the paunchy white auteur canon uh, really, the the really important kind of like central premise of them, which is that these men are beloved in their films. They are wonderful people, charismatic and beloved by all their friends. And of course, so he's in the bar, and 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 everyone's like, "Come on, sing the song. We love the song. Your songs are good." <laughs> and so, of course, he begrudgingly has to go. It's like, "Okay, you guys, I can't, oh, I can't I deprive you guys." I'm just like. You know, when you're out of the bar and all your friends are like, oh, just go sing your song that you do. And you're like, oh, I couldn't, but I guess I will. <laughs> you know, and this is followed up by another, an incredible scene where he takes Cindy, the the lovely Cindy, who has escaped from a satanic cult, which guess what? We'll, we'll rope right back into the main storyline later on. And he takes her out for a date and he the, the waiter's like, oh, you, you have so many great jokes. Tell me a joke. And, and DeHart tells him not just one joke, but two jokes. The film stops dead in its tracks so that he can deliver them both and everyone laughs because this man is so wonderful and charismatic and funny. You know, it's kind of like how Neil Breen repeatedly casts himself as God in his own films. Uh, this is basically Yeah, but you know what Neil Breen does not do? Uh, sing the entire soundtrack for his films. He does not, oh, no. Nor, and, nor does and he compose s- the music. Yes. Oh. <laughs> he, he doesn't do it. He doesn't also give himself extended sex scenes in hot tubs that are extended because the song has at least four verses that they have to get through. Dude, I, I don't know. So, like, I used to think that the, the sex scenes were gross and weird. They, and are. they are. And they're grosser and, and they're weirder <laughs> in the Champagne and Bullets cut because they're, like, five times as long. They just go on forever. <laughs> He's, like, ice-cubing nipples. It's, it's oh, like, a God, whole thing. It's terrible. It's kind, of, it's kind of, like, do the right thing in a lot of ways. So, anyways, what... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> where's I? I've just derailed myself with this. I, I, I just, I just want to say that, like, while I was kind of like grossed out and weirded out and not into the sex scenes, I appreciate them more now because I learned that 
uh, John DeHart's girlfriend, uh, who's a producer on this film, uh, she was. She also plays the nun when when Huck is in the hospital. Ah, yes. Oh, an important role. Yeah, pivotal. A very important role, pivotal role, and she actually dumped John DeHart after this this movie was finally cut together because of the hot tub sex scenes. They were too horny. And she got mad, and he was just like, bitch, you read the script. You knew this was coming. Uh, I, I got to get my willy wet in this hot tub, so sorry. He's visibly wearing and underwear she... in the hot tub scene. <laughs> just, well, yeah. I mean, I he's mean, got that God. much, at least. And if you want to talk about the star of this film, because there, there are many just incredible performances across the board, but I would be remiss if I did not discuss the work of Ms. Pamela Jean Bryant, God rest her you, soul. You were circling back to where I wanted to go. To, the, the unsung yeah, hero. She, she, oh, just absolutely. Give this woman a purple heart because <laughs> holy shit, the amount of sex she has to have with John DeHart in this movie is astronomical. Just days of filming. I mean, she's probably on set for like five days. But I guarantee three of the five days were just fucking John DeHart. Yeah, and and she she's not like that. Like if you watch a Neil Brain movie, like every woman he interacts with is visibly like recoiling at all times. Uh, whereas she she manages to pull this off. It's almost like half believable. I mean, not really, just because John Dart exists. But <laughs> no, it's um, because it, yeah, like really, and I I know I've come around to this point on several points as we do our like nineties babe series that has inadvertently materialized through a series of bad decisions we haven't really discussed um this this kind of joins the comment like joins that as well because uh pamela jean bryant is she's she's a former playboy model like she's done glamour photography and stuff so she's she knows the score she knows what this kind of a you know scene is where she's basically there to be naked and be sexy and whatever and Again, kind of like to the limit with Anna Nicole Smith and elements like Naked Souls, the Pamela Anderson movie. Like the women who are hired to, who go into those movies to be naked and be sexy in various scenes, they are the like putting in by far and away the most kind of believable, credible performances in the entire film. I mean, the fact that she is able to just kind of like do all those things, the, the motions of like being sexy and kind of aloof and all of that within these scenes and sat next to just this weird mustachioed gargoyle is uh, <laughs> it's remark like it really is like they're just such professionals and you know they, they'll never get their due for it like Anna Nicole Smith's nudity into the limit is like the only acting in that entire movie and there's a bunch of other actors in it and they all suck and nothing about that movie is any good. And Anna Nicole Smith is also not good at acting outside of that. But it's like, there's like a, a, a knowledge of acting sexily that I think for a lot of the women in those industries is probably honestly something they may have learned not even in the industry. It's just something they learned just generally to get by. And it's sort of, they, they're able to just bring it out. And it's, it's kind of a reminder that these movies honestly have been like mining, grabbing just various women and getting them like just be naked you're, you're just here for that while entirely less charismatic less interesting men are supposedly the leads and this is just a wonderful highlight for that uh DeHart is just such a 
you know, obviously this weird vacuum in the center of the film, all encompassing and yet almost like you, you could barely pick him out of a lineup at the end of it based on his character. His character is an indescribable kind of like absence of qualities beyond being good. Uh, obviously, our supporting cast are crazy, but they they are confused. William Smith is a very, he's, he's a very competent actor. He's been in everything, but he clearly, as you've mentioned, looks confused here. Wings Hauser, I think is just like, I know exactly what kind of a movie this is. I'm just, you know, it doesn't matter. taking advantage. He's taking advantage of John Deard, I would say. He's, I'm guessing the he was guy like... You want me to play drunk? Pass the fucking brewskis. Yeah, I'm, we'll sure, play drunk. I'm pretty sure there must have been like a budget for like Wingshauser's beer allotment for filming every day. And yeah, it's like, so, so that's it. But I just, yeah, I really want to just point out that honestly, in these awkward, weird sex scenes and everything, the Pamela Jean Bryant is honestly, God bless her. Uh, she's, she's really, she's honestly like the most natural, normal thing in this whole goddamn movie. But, and it's not even close, really. Um, <laughs> Wait, here's the, here's the really good question. What's the least sexy, sexy part in the sex scene? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, least sexy sexy part i mean the ice cube part is agonizing i'll say that much <laughs> yeah it, it's pretty upsetting ice cubes up there i think when john d hart gets pulled into the tub i didn't enjoy that <laughs> <laughs> i mean also, it's so hard to explain these scenes without knowledge of the music playing over them as well which is that's yeah, the, so the, well, the song is we have to insert some of this music because it's just I'll be with you when you want me I'll be with you when you need me I'll be with you when you're feeling blue I'll be there when you're romance fuck song that he creates and repeatedly repeatedly throughout the, the commentary and I know I keep going back to this but it is a bizarre commentary because John D. Hart does not give a shit which is bizarre because when I talked to him a decade ago he was very into talking about this movie but on this commentary track there's multiple parts where like the guy moderating is just like so uh well, tell us about the decision here. And he just goes, well, just, you know, a stroke of genius. Whatever. Who cares? I just put it there. What does it matter to you? It was a long time ago. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but he says repeatedly throughout the commentary track that, well, you know, everybody loves the shimmy slide. It's always about the shimmy slide. But the song I thought was going to be a hit was this hot tub love song. <laughs> song. <laughs> And it's just like, I'll be with you when you need me. 
<laughs> Sorry, just, he thought any of these so... songs were going to be a hit. Well, yeah. you have to have that that delusion, Jack. That's the only <laughs> way these true. things work. The, you know, he absolutely delivers this stuff with the faith of a Steven Seagal guitar solo. Like, he genuinely believes he's, like, doing something. Uh, yeah, we yeah, can get... The way we his have, voice quivers. Uh, oh. <laughs> online, yeah, it's like a natural vibrato, I gotta say. <laughs> like the vibrato, again, of a man at gunpoint. Like, it's just... He sounds or a man, like he's, a man underwater he's in a hot tub. Who knows? It kind of fits in there, or, too. Or a man who who's really fucking pitchy and can't sing, and he's just wavering between different notes. Not at fucking all. It's it's incredible. I, I uh, The song, yeah, the love song, the love theme is called I'll Be With You. We we can get that. We'll, we'll lay some in. Uh, Shimmy Slide is, of course, available readily on YouTube as well. And, and my yeah. favorite one is the the rekindling the romance song which is this fucking <laughs> it's called starting over and it's got this fucking the earth's worst harmony like the worst harmony you can possibly imagine and it's just like i, I don't know if, if that is his nun lady friend or what but they're just going starting over oh <laughs> and that's it, it, the lyrics continue on you would know half of them because these songs play in their entirety, but it's just like the most asinine shit imaginable. It's like, I'm walking in the rain and I'm feeling pain. <laughs> but God, <laughs> it's it's so awkward because, uh, you know, and it's it speaks again towards the fact that this film was, you know, made to the specifications of absolutely no one but one man, John D. Hart. Um, there is another guy mm. credited, like James Paradise is credited as a co-director who appears to be just kind of like, an actor around like he's been in a bunch of tv stuff and like small roles and stuff like he's been in you know movies tv nothing remarkable just kind of like he's a guy you might see in some movies here and there um he's credited as a co-director i don't know if he was just trying to put it together while the other guy was like trying to just stand upright or whatever with this you know <laughs> having him back injury etc i mean i feel for him i've done the back injury thing too and it's it's not fun i would certainly not want to work through it but um, yeah, it's it's like everything about this movie, the tone of it is so bizarre because I mean, it opens with depending on which cut you you watch, I think all of them open. The first real scene is a drug raid, a drug bust with a uh, Normad William Smith's villain basically telling uh, D Hart and, and Hauser to storm a like mobile home with drug dealers in it. Um, and while he stands back and laughs, he's just he doesn't give him the support, and they're just they just stand in places and just there's a big shootout full of people who are just standing still. It's a very, you know, not a very well laid out action we've seen, but very typical for this kind of movie. Uh, we come in with drug dealing, crooked cops, uh, you know, Satanism, etc. You know, it's got all these like harding like sexual abuse and things like that. And then the soundtrack is like this weird spacey country folk that DeHart has, has engineered himself. The film, I, I you know, even the short, the, the get even mid-tempo cut, which is about 10 minutes shorter than Champagne and Bullets, is still just so meandering. Like, there's, there's no tautness to this film at all. Um, like, the pacing of it, like, you would think you put in, like, rock music or something, or, like, something a little bit more aggressive, because it's supposed to be kind of like, you know, there's supposed to be a certain intensity and action vibe. Yeah, this you put in the, the opening to uh, Bad to the Bone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> and then that tapers away. It's like the, the whole <laughs> thing is just, 
like I say, just this is this is a film that has a focus group of one man who God only knows what advice he took, if anything. And see, he's been he's been workshopping this. He probably is still. He's probably not happy that it's now out on Blu-ray from like a major boutique label. Uh, he's, he's probably still working on this thing. I'm hoping ten years from now someone else will release it and there'll be like something else, be like champagne and bullets and hot tubs or something. It'll be like a new scene and a new stuff. Yeah, I mean he's he's got a script for a sequel ready to go. Oh. Just so you know. Uh, yeah, he says he says Wings is ready to do it whenever he is. So. I, you know, I I don't doubt that. Sadly, his his uh, Pamela Jean Bryant is not around anymore. Sadly, passed away about a decade ago, so he's gonna have to find someone else to elevate the content. Uh, William, oh Smith, William Smith died last year as well. Well, well, he died in the movie too. You wouldn't expect Normat to come. Well, I mean, I guess he's. Just I mean, look at what could. we're talking about here. Yeah, of course I'd expect <laughs> Normat to come. <laughs> that is the one thing this movie is missing. It's like a supernatural element. He should have. He should have shoehorned yeah. in more of like a supernatural thing too. Why not go for it? Well, allegedly, like he he tried to he he wanted this to be like the biggest movie he could make on his small budget. And I think looking at it that way, he certainly achieved his goal because every single scene is just like almost disconnected from the rest of the movie. Like there's no there's no connective tissue at all. Just like a lot of crazy shit is happening. There's, you know, John DeHart's driving a limo. Wings Hauser has a bizarre house and he's ironing clothes. Uh, there's a fucking swimming pool full of half-naked women. There's, you know, shootouts and this and that. All these things are happening. But that's what he wanted. He wanted this huge, epic action film. And I think, I mean, he sort of a, a accomplished that. Is it coherent? Absolutely not. But... <laughs> There's something going on here. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, it, <laughs> I, I feel like there's still elements like uh, that I don't want to overlook. Like uh, again, Wings Hauser. Holy shit! Um, <laughs> so after he's he, incredible. After <laughs> after he's been jailed like twice, and uh, <laughs> I, I guess he's like reformed or something and, and now he just like walks around in a pool in a, like a full canadian tuxedo um and spouts the wisdom of huck finn he shows up at john DeHart's house and delivers a native american mannequin this <laughs> 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 is what i'm talking about I, like I, I, you are never bored in this movie as much as it meanders because this movie fucking meanders you're never bored because someone is always doing something that's just like, you know, it's like whiplash. How, <laughs> wh why, why did he bring an Indian mannequin? We, we haven't even gone into the fact that D. Hart gives himself an opportunity to do Hamlet's famous monologue. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> he does. He, he recites a soliloquy, which this is another thing too. Thank God I watched the champagne and bullets version because that has a longer version of the soliloquy. And the 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 cut that I have that he sent to me has like the whole thing, oh just my the God. entirety. Jesus, <laughs> it's and like he ten cuts minutes from, long. And and one of my favorite additions it's not a, it's not just enough that he includes any of that at all. And it, just in case, dear dear listener, if you have not watched the film yet, and you should go and watch the film, 
he's not doing a good job with Shakespeare. It's very much, <laughs> he seems very pleased with the concept that he can remember the words of Shakespeare. Like, that's the test. You know, that's the metric. It's like, can you believe people can remember all the words? That's, you know, he's, he's got that part down. Later on in the movie, Wings Hauser, who is a real <laughs> actor, who's been in real movies, uh, has a whole scene at the bar where he proudly declares that his his friend can uh, remember, or what is it, he, he reads Hamlet or something? I can't remember. Uh, he, oh, can speak Hamlet, he says. He's so pleased. Yeah. He's like, you know, everyone shut up. My friend can speak Hamlet. And yeah, incredible stuff. Yeah, that is that is like the number one scene where you're like, oh, holy shit. Wingshauser <laughs> is fucking trash. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have, like, imagine just having to, like, he's the ultimate wingman in this. The wingman Hauser is, is what we've got in this movie. And he is doing an incredible bang up job. Uh, just hanging. He enlivens the whole thing. He's got to pretend that DeHart is charismatic and funny and just great. Uh, and it's oh, there's so much going on here. You'd like, I mean, Steve is right. There's just like every scene is an absolute paradox. It's like you've just fallen into it and you're not quite sure what's happening. And then it's like eventually towards the end of they they circle back around to the fact that there's a bad guy they know who's leading a child-murdering satanic cult, <laughs> which is kind of like, almost honestly falls by the wayside in this movie. It's sort of towards the end. Um, after he marries uh, Cindy, who has escaped the cult, and he just inexplicably, I don't think we even see the photo, do we? Uh, uh, John no, DeHart, despite having, having been betrayed by Normad, this terrible cop who shot his best friend Wings Hauser he survived thankfully or got him shot I guess in in the initial opening drug raid you know uh, he keeps a photo of Normad in his house for some reason just in the bedroom <laughs> and she's getting ready and she, she's lived with him now she's gotten married to him and then she's getting ready and she just happens to notice this photo in the bedroom of this crooked cop and she goes that's him that's the leader of the satanic cult to which Chanty Carr gives maybe my favorite line reading of the whole thing which is like what? really? and it's sort of like a little bit more <laughs> less feeling than that honestly like well, really? like kind of like oh geez I hadn't thought that would be a thing uh, which to be fair no one would um, and then he has to go and uh, <laughs> defeat him. It's it's just just an incredible kind of like through line of this. I mean, he gives an enormous amount over to the romance in this film, which is non-existent otherwise. Like there's really, it is entirely unconvincing, but I guess it is much cheaper than uh, shootouts and action. So he really has to scale those back. So mm -hmm. it's mostly him wooing a lady who's already naked for most of the film. Yes, and yeah. who he has presumably already wooed, right? Like, they're, they're an ex. You know, like, she yes. left him, like, a year prior, and I, a lot happened in that year, apparently. She joined <laughs> well, a satanic yeah. cult and <laughs> fled the state or something. Um, but, yes, I, I, that whole subplot, like, time in this movie is, is incredibly slippery. I have no idea how much <laughs> is, is meant to have passed. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, the, the one thing I do want to touch on uh it, it's uh, regarding pamela jean bryant's cindy character that that we have not brought up is uh, it's just another aside but it's probably my favorite aside in the whole fucking thing is when john dehart and cindy uh just head on out to her father's house for some reason. <laughs> it's an incredible and, scene and this character and his wife are 
it's just a treasure there i don't again i i don't know much about these characters or how much time has passed but the the father is really sunk in on the whole satanist cult which which probably must have just been a couple weeks of her life and is seemingly uh labeling to heart a, a satanist and the entire thing is it's just like pitch at this insane level i have no idea what's happening and i love it's- every second of it yeah, her parents are like extra, like fundamentalist Christians that are very concerned about Satanists, but it's not entirely clear. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe they, they know she joined a satanic cult, so they think everyone she's with, but she's left the cult. She escaped, so I don't know why that that isn't I, getting yeah. through to them. It's very confusing. Right, and it seems but, to, it's pitched that it extends past, like this was their outlook from... Right, Young yeah, they've, they've always been well? that, you know, I mean, they, they, they primed her for it. Also, it's really confusing because, like, she's in her 30s in this movie, and it's like, coming home to pick up her stuff, it's like, it would suggest she'd been in this cult for, like, since her, like, late, late teens or so. Right, you know? yeah, also, like yeah, it, it doesn't seem like the place where when she had to get out of town that she would go stay with these fucking maniacs, that doesn't <laughs> seem likely. And, and all the stuff she picks up is a single cardboard box. Yes, which the father just, like, <laughs> fucking violently hugs at her out the window. Um, what? But that's not, like, her mother. Her mother is the woman, the older woman, who's just, like, with John DeHart in every scene of the entire fucking movie, almost. Like, anytime he has to go anywhere, this woman is just with him. And she doesn't have almost any lines. She's just kind of there the whole time. And I believe that's Cindy's mother? That's right, because it's his stepmom who's in with the father. Yeah. But she's just, she's just also religious, but the father is too. So it's not like she was a poisonous influence. I don't, I don't think they even point towards that i don't know who knows can anyone you would think that uh this the cindy's mother would be a a more apt love interest for john d hart because they're similar age they seem to pal around everywhere you know Uh, you know if you're making a movie you're not going to sell yourself short like that no you know Always, uh, it reminds true. me of the incredible scene in, in Neil Breen's Faithful Finding, the just random scene where the neighbor's daughter hits on, on oh, Neil Breen. Oh, <laughs> it's just like, yep, these guys are full-blown delusional. There's absolute insanity here. It should also be mentioned that despite this movie being called both Road to Revenge and Get Even, uh, that there really is, it's not a revenge movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's really nothing no. to to avenge nobody's getting even no one's having there's no road to revenge yeah, even there's the, no revenge even the fake seed of revenge is planted like literally 90 percent of the way through this movie <laughs> we get the revenge mm-hmm. is, is curious not not to like throw out too many spoilers but his wife uh is killed is murdered uh or so he thinks and so he decides <laughs> then that he needs to go for revenge despite having basically ignored normat for his entire life, uh, seemingly at this point, mostly. And so, yeah, he has, I don't he has know to go how get much revenge time then. He could have been kicked off the force, like, yesterday, for all I know. I'm, I'm sorry, will he sure. set up a successful middle-aged prom limousine business where he gives <laughs> middle-aged people who are going to prom uh, rides in his limousine in a, a wonderful early scene, and then he dumps them off in the middle of nowhere because he's, I guess, doesn't like that kind of clientele. Another incredible scene. Um, yeah, it's not really. Well, I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't want to contribute to uh, you know middle-aged people going to prom. That seems no, you know, a little sketchy to him. So. <laughs> Absolutely, you shouldn't have let them in the car in the first place. If you're asking me, 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's really <laughs> I like this whole plot point because basically they get run off the road while they're on their motorcycle, and his wife is like seemingly dead. And so he's like, and they have a funeral. I mean, she's not seemingly dead. He waits by the roadside, presumably, for them to come get her. And they take her away. And then they have a whole ass funeral for her. So, I mean, she's legitimately dead, you would think. And so he's like, they kill my wife. I've got to go get revenge. So he just nips out for a second. He gets revenge. And then a nun tells him to check back in the hospital. And lo and behold, his wife is fine. She's been fine the whole time. But they just, I guess, lied to him to get him to go on a one-man suicide mission yeah, who, against who's, a satanic Whose plan was this? That's, Exa- yeah, was who this orchestrated the this? <laughs> the nun? Who was... Like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I think he, he was afraid of having just like a kind of a downer, like somber ending. Because this is obviously it's him. You know, he's the hero. He's got to get the chick at the end. Although I think in Road to Revenge, she actually stays dead. So, well, that would the be logical, cut. I suppose. But more sense for sure. <laughs> I mean, this to me, I'm, I just can't help but think like if, if it was going to be a faked death situation. Wouldn't he maybe be the one orchestrating or suggesting the fake death so that he could take care of the Satanists with her out of the path of danger or something? Because I just don't see any other explanation. Like, well, A, Normad seems to own the police, and B, why would the police want him to go on a vigilante rampage? <laughs> I, I just don't see who's who's faking to death. <laughs> And yeah, and it doesn't matter. I mean, what happens if she fakes her own death and she's waiting in the hospital for her to return and he fails and is murdered by Satanists? Then what does she get out of this? It's a very curious setup. And I guess, you know, if he ever makes a sequel, maybe he'll explain some of that. He probably won't. Yeah, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's odd that he never made another movie? It just seems well, so he weird He to can't me. leave this one alone, it seems like. So that's... That's a, you know, like artists have to determine when, you know, it's done. If you keep tinkering, you know, like some people, I guess, like Ridley Scott and Michael Mann, they're able to, they're able to, you know, tie it together. But like they're, they're, you know, very prestigious guys. They got to, they can hire assistants. John DeHart's just tinkering away at this thing. He needs to just put it aside and he needs to start Road to Revenge 2, Get Even or whatever it needs to be. Yeah, I don't know how people maintain the delusion. It's almost more surprising to me when when these people make more than one thing. I mean, you've got, like, Wizzo obviously really only made one thing. I mean, he's made things since, but not in the same sense. <laughs> he's trafficking in fucking forced irony and garbage. Um, but... Yeah, I suppose it's the same thing with DeHart. Uh, Breen is, is kind of the outlier there where he does continuously produce stuff. But I, I feel like if you have this sort of delusion that you belong in front of the camera and, and you're some great artist that when your project fails, it's probably like completely devastating for most of them. Sure. And, you know, and if you talk about like so many people say, you know, you find your film in the editing suite, you know. Which makes sense because you're you're seeing the footage and you're putting it together. I mean, you you have to see the actual film emerging. And yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe DeHart, like, it must be incredible to have those first rushes and be like, yeah, yeah we're good. Let's keep going. This is working. <laughs> I Well, that this is interesting because I know DeHart, he, he ran into some issues, uh, notably with, 
like distributors. He said that he was ripped off like three different times by distributors who said that they were going to, you know, distribute the film and they just took it and they never gave him any money, didn't do anything with it. And then the editing process, same thing. He paid his editor up front completely. And then the guy just didn't do anything for like a solid year. He just never edited it. And the other problem John DeHart ran into, and I, and I think this probably affected the editing and maybe the pacing and God, just everything, the performances. John DeHart did not have dailies on this. He just shot. And whatever he got in the end, he got. So yeah. he had no idea what he had. That does <laughs> That's explain a good way to spend decades editing. Yeah, exactly, right? You gotta, like you just, gotta wonder just... if there's like a reel of this movie that he forgot to expose and explain, like, which is all the footage where they explain things. <laughs> all the plot. Yeah, all the, all the plot is just sitting in his fucking storage shed somewhere. I, yeah, I don't know, but that just floors me. The fact that he didn't have any dailies. Like, what are you doing? Instead <laughs> of the movie like this, especially as a first-time filmmaker, you know? Uh, but... On the other hand, and this is where he, he's maybe a little bit different from Wizzo and Breen, is you could you could really tell that he like this is a professional, I mean, for the budget, but like the difference between this and other schlocky 80s action stuff from the time is just him. It's his presence, like his songs and, and him as an actor. Mm. But everything else kind of tracks. Like he he has hit the mark of shitty low-budget 80s action filmmaker well except for the editing or or perhaps coverage you know which which could have to do again with with his inexperience in planning a shoot yeah but for a first timer i mean god it's like i I don't know he's probably on par with like bruno Mattei at this point (laughs) (laughs) for what it's worth i don't know but god it, it really is just a compelling watch and when we talk about these like doughy white God complex, do everything filmmakers, he, he might be my favorite just because there's, there's so much mystique around this and, and what he's created now he's never done anything else. And it it really is just a magical movie. And the fact that compared to like a Neil Breen or a Tommy Wiseau, I still feel like this is criminally underwatched, even though it's, it's gained some popularity and I cannot stress enough, if you have not seen Get Even, stop what you're doing. You need to watch this movie. And I know that we've been having this conversation. It sounds completely insane. It's all over the place. That's what the movie is. Trust me. But if you have any affinity at all for just like schlocky outsider art action cinema from the 80s and 90s, this is about as good as it gets. Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's a blast. All right. Well, I mean, I guess I guess we should wrap this thing up pretty soon. Uh, you guys have any other any other hard sell on on get even or anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? Uh, I think no, we got. I think, I think I, we got the most of what I was hoping to highlight. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we, I think we're good. I think we said it all. It, all I mean, right. it has to be seen. It has to be experienced. Really. Exactly. Experience this movie. Let it let it just wash over you. Let it just baptize yourself in the waters of John D. Hart. Okay, just like Pamela Bryant did in that hot tub. (laughs) Jack, what are you putting over this week? (laughs) 
Oh man, I'm gonna put over uh, Get Even, one of the the cuts of of this film. Now I'm I'm gonna put over. God, what what have I done? I've been watching mostly rewatching stuff for the last while. Uh, I've been lucky enough to see Inland Empire. They did the the new 4K restoration. Uh, I got to see it, and unfortunately, I don't think it's I don't think it looks very good, which is a real bummer. Um. But the movie is still great. It's still really weird, even by David Lynch's standards. It's a very uncomfortable, strange movie that he uh, feels like, honestly, the way that D. Hart must have made his movie. You know, David Lynch talked about making Inland Empire, and he just had, like, an idea, and he just went out and he filmed the idea, and then he had another idea, and he filmed that, and he had another. And eventually, the ideas kind of started to interlink, and he would just film on consumer-grade digital, as he meant, and then he had a film. And that's, you know, if you're David Lynch, that's an incredibly compelling thing. But, if, you know, if you're not David Lynch, you could just end up with a completely incomprehensible mess on your hands. But uh, Inland Empire is great. I still really love it. Not too impressed with this DCP, but I am reckon it's probably going to be the only way to see it on a big screen for any time in the near future. So uh, suck it up and just, just look at it. It's just, it's just, it looks a little flat and a little too sharp for me. I don't know. Um... But hopefully the, the home video version will look cooler. And if not, you could probably download the, the original DVD transfer or something and just watch that in a real grungy, shitty looking thing, which is what it's supposed to be. So yeah, Inland Empire. It's cool That's and right. spooky as shit. All right, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, you know, I think I'll put a, a bow on the old Czech uh, venture here with uh, a report on the party and the guests. Uh, this is a shorter thing. It's only an hour long. Uh, another uh, again names I'm sure I'm pronouncing horribly because I'm a midwestern schlub but uh, Jan uh, Nemec uh, who did Diamonds of the Night uh, which I think I mentioned earlier um, and it's also one of the co-writers is Esther Krumbachova who was also a writer on Daisies and yeah it's just like a really interesting satire of uh, well it's a Czech new wave. It's it's about fucking Stalinism. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a good movie. I like that. It one. is. Yeah. All right. Well, this week I'm not putting over a movie. I'm putting over a man because I watched a little film called House of Gucci, which is not very good. It's just kind of like a prestige drama uh, begging, begging for an Oscar. And it's full of lar big, just really big performances. You got Al Pacino, always a big performance. You got Lady Gaga doing like a weird accent thing that I cannot jive with. Uh, you got Adam Driver just being Adam Driver. But with all these big performances and this generic Oscar bait plot that I don't give a fuck about, there is a shining beacon of light. And his name is Jared Leto. And what he is doing in this movie transcends film and acting it is just a whole nother level that we have not yet experienced and the only thing I, like the only way i can describe it is just imagine you are cast in a serious oscar drama and the character that you are channeling for your character in the movie is spaghetti from the tim and eric awesome show because that's what he's doing uh he's just a, a bald mumbling italian person it's like a giant comical stereotype and I could not stop laughing and I could not look away anytime he was on screen. Unfortunately, he's not on screen enough. So kind of a bummer there, but 
so should you watch House of Gucci? I don't know. It's like fucking three hours long. It's so long, but he's so good. So maybe, I don't know, someone out there, if, if you got a copy of the movie, maybe cut together a Jared Leto cut where he's just the main character. It's like 30 minutes long. You just get all his good bits. That would be ideal. So Jared Leto. So great actor. Are any, of the, everything. are any of the other legendary like scenery chompers in the movie going big? Like is Pacino Pacino? Oh, Pacino's real big. He's he's Pacino. Yeah. Is I Jeremy mean, he's Irons like, like fucking Dungeons and Dragoning all over the place? No, Jeremy Irons is actually a little bit restrained because he's like dying of cancer. That's for a most shame. Movies. Don't uh, just make yeah. him dying of lunatic cancer. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I like what Lady Gaga's doing because it's just I I mean, and, and this is a it's it's a more interesting movie than I than enjoyable, just because it, it feels like you're watching an Oscar bait drama, but it's only made for like forty year old gay men, which I <laughs> like. It's just weird, like in that sense. And and yeah, whatever Jared Leto is doing, I'm sure there's clips of him on YouTube that you can look up. But it's fucking insane. It's just straight up spaghetti, man. That's all it is, just spaghetti. So, uh, yeah, I don't even know how this is a putover because I'm not like watch the movie definitely don't watch the movie but figure it out <laughs> anyways if you enjoyed the podcast today do us a big favor uh we're gonna link to our patreon you can give us money who doesn't want to give us money jack uh, satanists most people satanists yeah because we we've besmirched their character today but yeah if you give us any amount of money i will send you a movie from my personal collection and uh, yeah, maybe it's a DVD, maybe it's a Blu-ray, maybe it's a VHS tape, a laser disc. You don't know what the fuck you're going to get. You want a beta tape? Maybe you get a beta tape. You, you have no clue what's coming to you, but something is. Uh, in addition, at higher levels, you know, you, you can have some say in what goes into Optimism Vaccine, including at the highest level, you can actually dictate an entire episode. Very exciting for you. Think of think of all the things you could make us watch. Think of God, we get Sean Glynis on here, and you could make him watch Morbius or uh, you know something. Maybe there's some movie out there you can make him watch Ant Farm Dickhole. You ever seen Ant Farm Dickhole, Jack? You know, I think I think I missed that one. Yeah, Google it, Google it. You guys want to make Sean Glynis watch Ant Farm Dickhole? Give me twenty dollars. We'll make it is, happen. Is it possible if someone gives us money to make us do over an episode? Like if we shit talked a movie that you really liked, you could just make us watch it again. Well, yes. I, <laughs> yeah, I like mean, it, they can make us do anything. Yeah. They can't make us like change our opinions. Uh, but yeah, uh, they could force the us to watch the thing again. <laughs> I mean, they could they could theoretically come in and say, we want you to rewatch fucking Eminon or something. <laughs> Just, oh, uh, thanks, but no thanks. But yeah, I mean, they could. They could. Steve, before we move past patrons, by the way, we, we, we have, uh, you know, we're not the best at reading out the names of our $5 and up patrons, uh, which we, we, who do we got? Who do we got right now? Uh, well, we have a uh, recent patron, Evan Gordon. Uh, we have Ryan Everard. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, we have Dustin Zick and we have Paul Rode. And, uh, oh my God. We also, I, I also want to give a, a shout out to, uh, I'm not going to try your actual name here, but we're going to go with a uh, Tony Scott fan, AKA Tony fan. Uh, you, you may not be at the shout out level, but I'm giving you a shout out because obviously, uh, Patreon must be a, a hassle from where you're uh, supporting us from. Cause <laughs> I feel like you're jumping in and out all the time. And I'm sure that's just because this is a bastard to work with and we appreciate, uh, you putting up with it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we we appreciate all our, our $5 homies and our $3 friends and, and even the $20 people. And I do hope, I, I hope someone says, you know what? I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to, I'm going to hit that $20 mark and I'm going to be the person who says, you know what? You guys got Sister Act 2 back in the habit wrong and I need you to rewatch it. That's an entirely possible scenario for you. So think about that. Uh, to be fair, I think it's $25. Oh, $25, whatever. $25 for Sister Act, yeah. Maybe 30 for Sister Act 2. I don't fucking know. Uh, yeah, anyways, you can also contact us. You got something to say? You want to send us an email? We've gotten some great emails before in the past, giving us some really good ideas for future episodes. Uh, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. Adam Byros will answer your emails. Or you can tweet at us, at OptimismVaccine. And we would love to hear from you, maybe. Depends on who you are and if you're weird or not. But yeah, just, just tweet at us. That's cool. That's fine. And yeah, I mean, we're, I, I guess we're not going to do the last word because Jake had a fucking baby. So uh, fuck it. Yeah, he's finally been... <laughs> we broke him. Yeah. <laughs> Cue the shimmy slide. <laughs> oh, be... <laughs> Do you think? Do you think uh, Jake was listening to the soundtrack from Get Even when he conceived his child? <laughs> Starting over, and you feel like you're gonna feel like you're gonna fly. Starting over. Yeah, yeah, yeah.